Hi everybody, welcome to Bone to Pick. I am Michael Davis and we are coming to you today from Michiko Studios here in Midtown Manhattan. And I am absolutely thrilled to have the opportunity to interview our featured artist for this month, the great Triton Brass. Triton Brass is one of the preeminent brass quintets in the world today. They are in residency at Boston Conservatory. They are prize winners at the prestigious Leon and Fischoff International Chamber Music Competitions. And most importantly, I have to say, they have just released their debut self-titled CD entitled Triton Brass. It's a fantastic recording. We're going to talk a lot about it today and a lot about the history of the group. Um, I, when I first started working with Triton, I was, it's a word that I had, of course, heard many times, but I wasn't really sure of the definition. So I thought, you know what, let me kick this off by actually reading you the definition that's on their website. Then it will be, a, be a, kind of opens our eyes a little bit. Uh, Triton was the son of Poseidon, god of the sea. Uh, he is depicted in Greek mythology as a merman, body of a man, and the tail of a dolphin. He's credited with inventing the trumpet. Uh, Triton would blow his conch shell to announce the arrival of his father Poseidon and control the waters in response to Poseidon's commands, blowing softly to calm the waters and ease the passage for sailors, and loudly to raise storms to smite those who offended Poseidon. So I guess you guys are kind of like gods of brass then. <laughs> Greek gods of brass, that's the way I would look at sons of gods. <laughs> well, let me take a quick second to introduce uh, each individual member of the group. Uh, on the trumpets, we have Andrew Sorg and Stephen Banzer. On the French horn, we have Sheila Abate, Mr. Wes Hopper on the tenor trombone, and Mr. Angel Severo on the bass trombone. And I want to take a second to get for all of us to learn more about them individually, but I'd like to kind of just start off by talking about the, the formation of the group, the early years of the group, and, and kind of what motivated you guys to, to create such a great ensemble. And I thought maybe, Wes, you could lead off for us. Sure. Our, our initial motivation for this ensemble was, was financial. <laughs> we, uh, we got together uh, hoping for gigs. You know, we were young and, and coming out of, poor. out of school and poor. And uh, we thought, wow, we'll throw this group together and the world, you know, will be ours. And we'll play everyone's wedding and bar mitzvah that we can possibly do. And, and that was our sort of short-sighted idea of what we were doing and and then we uh, we threw down some rehearsals for a little while and realized hey you know we're all right so uh, maybe we'll go a, a little bit of a different direction and we sort of got involved in the, uh, the competitions and whatnot and that's that's really when Triton came together as an ensemble is preparing for those things and it's kind of like the Olympics of brass playing so once you once you're all in you know, you really come together as a group, and after that, we just, uh, you know, enjoyed that reputation and, and the residencies that it brought, and, and uh, right off the bat, actually, Sheila uh, helped us usher into this residency at Boston College, which was mm -hmm. our, sort of our first thing, and it gave us a home to rehearse and sort of a, some ownership over, over something that was big in our lives at, at the time, and mm -hmm. That's still there to this day, actually. Um, but maybe, I don't know, Sheila, maybe you could tell us a little bit more about how that residency came about and you know what your connection was there. Sure. Well, I mean, I, I'm an alum of BC, and um, while I was a student there, the Boston Brass was in residence, um, who is another fantastic brass quintet, and they um, discontinued that relationship literally the year after. <laughs> 
I graduated. Um, so there was this lag and, and uh, in time for a couple of years, and then we formed, and I I submitted some materials, some Triton recordings and um, cover letter, and uh, they welcomed us in with open arms. Um, so basically, as Wes just said, it gave us home, um, one that I was really familiar with and loved, loved very much and still do. And, uh, you know, some gigs. We started, you know, making some bread. <laughs> um, but anyway, it worked out great. And, and to this day, we, we do maintain that relationship with them, which is awesome. That's a good step. What year was that that you guys actually started then? 2001. Yes. So over a decade in the making. It's interesting, Wesley, you're talking about how you were starting off playing parties and weddings and stuff like that. And when you hear your CD, it's so creative and so interesting musically. It's like, uh, it's great how you guys have evolved into that place. And uh, that's really great stuff. Um, well, this might be a good time to just uh, have go through each one of you individually and just tell us a little bit about your background, maybe uh, the Cliff Notes version of uh, your lives, because uh, you've all achieved a lot as individuals, and I'd like uh, our listeners to get a chance to meet you on that level as well. Um, Stephen, I'd love to start with you. You have the most interesting way. <laughs> things you don't often see trumpet players being instructors at MIT, <laughs> which I understand you are an instructor at MIT. So why don't we start off with uh, Stephen Benzard. Um Yeah, so uh, I guess, you know, what I, 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 I could never quite decide what I wanted to be when I grew up, and I, I, I sort of figured that I, I, I had this, can't. I still can't, that's right, <laughs> that's where, that's the, that's the end of this story, you know, I, I, I thought, well, I'll just go sort of as much all in to these two interests that I have as much as I can, and I thought, you know, at some point, clearly, you know, something's going to take over, and the decision will just get made for me, you know, that I'll, I'll try to be as good a trumpet player as I can be, and I'll try to be as good of uh, sort of a, you know, geeky engineer, as I can be, um, and um, and at some point, I, I just sort of assumed that I would that that it would become clear. I would notice that I was, you know, ditching math homework so I could go play in a band, or that I was stopping to practice because I was spending too much time in the lab. And it's it's just never really happened. And so I've just continued on on both of them, um, and it's given me a chance to do two things that I, that I really love to do. So I get to do things like play with these guys and, um, and then in the, the other sort of, you know, the, my, my little double life, I'm, I'm at MIT where I, I sort of, I, I guess the short summary is I, I teach people how to make robots. Right? I, work, I work in the mechanical engineering department at MIT and teach people how to, how to build gizmos, mostly with electronics. Um, so it's, I don't know, the day may come, but it's been, it's been about 20 years now Awesome. That's great. Good stuff. Sheila, how about yourself? Um, well, I'm originally from Long Island, and um, growing up, I I loved the horn from the moment that I picked it up in fourth grade. Um, and when it was time to go to college, <clears throat> um, although my mom and dad are very, very supportive and encouraging, they were not psyched about the whole prospect <laughs> of, of the music thing. Never and it wasn't. Happening. I, I know, right? <laughs> so weird. But I think it had more to do with um, their own inexperience and unfamiliarity with the business, and they really just were uncomfortable with my going into uncharted territory, with, um, and they didn't know how to advise me. So um, they pretty much insisted that I get a liberal arts degree, which I did, um, and I went to BC kicking and screaming. I, I just really so wanted to be in music school, 
Um, but looking back, it ended up being, you know, a really great thing. I did a degree in English Lit. Um, I did study music while I was there. I certainly practiced and took lessons with great players because Boston is a great city. And um, when I was finishing up my undergrad, I, I knew that I was going to pursue um, music and graduate degrees on my own dime. And I have the loans to prove it. So then I went to UMass and I did a master's there and then back at NEC where I did a diploma where when I met these guys. So um, now, uh, after graduating and after forming Triton, I, I lived and freelanced for several years in Boston. And um, about nine years ago, eight, nine years ago, I moved to New York, which is where I reside primarily and work primarily. But um, we're still going strong, and I drive a lot. <laughs> <laughs> That's good stuff. Well, I should also mention, since you and I have worked together so much in New York, Sheila is one of the top call freelance French horn players here in New York, so you've also got a very uh, very uh, excellent career going here in New York on that level. Uh, staying in the Treble Club family, uh, how about yourself, uh, Andrew? I grew up in uh, New Jersey and uh, went to a school assembly when I was in third grade. A guy played every instrument, and when he demonstrated all the woodwinds, I thought, wow, that's an incredible amount of buttons. And dire <laughs> directly, after, <laughs> directly after that, he picked up the trumpet, and I thought, there's three buttons, so I'll try that. <laughs> and really, I've been dedicated my whole life in an obsessive way to music uh, since that moment. And I'm just starting to feel it wear on me now. <laughs> and I always had great schooling. I was studying in New Jersey with Philip Ruechtenwald, who was principal Trump of the New York City Opera. Uh, he passed away, unfortunately. My junior high school and high school just happened to have amazing programs. It was very competitive, um, which is going to help you if you're pursuing music to be around that type of environment. And then I came to Boston to the Boston Conservatory. I'll continue with, with great teachers, great uh, experiences. And uh, directly after that, uh, I went to Tanglewood Music Center and started working, you know, pretty, pretty seriously uh, after that when I was 24. And uh, just kind of, I joined Triton after they were actually already formed. I replaced uh, one of their trumpeters named Chris Still. And that's when we really hit the competitions and, and we're rehearsing probably four hours, four times a week in, in Boston. And uh, here, here we are now. Great. All right, back to the Bass Club Society. Uh, one of my favorite bass trombone players anywhere. We had the good fortune to play together uh, several years ago at the Boston Conservatory Trombone Day, which is a fantastic event coming up here in, uh, in September again. And uh, I got to play some of my Bone Town music with him, and I always thought of him as a great classical player, which he certainly is, but then he started playing this jazz, and I was just like, oh my God, this guy's the real deal on a super deep level. So uh, it's always such a pleasure to work with him, and uh, uh, very interesting background. So, uh, Angel, maybe tell us about your how you got to where you are today. I am from Venezuela, originally, and uh, I started playing when I was 12, 13 years old. And um, in Venezuela, there's this huge, super famous program that is called El Sistema, which uh, everybody's involved in. And everybody's classical trained in Venezuela. So you're always surrounded by, by really great players. Competition is huge. 
the, the level play there is phenomenal. It's a huge, tremendous amount of talent, and oh, it was really great to grow up in that. I moved to Caracas, and I joined a couple orchestras there. And when I was 19, I went to the Aspen Music Festival, and I, interesting enough, I met a, I studied with a guy who lives here in New York City, Joe Rojak, who to me is, is a phenomenal bass formal player. I, Place in the American Brass Quintet. I joined the group two years ago, two or three years ago, I think, and uh, it it was really great. Basically, when I went to Aspen, uh, I saw their lives and and I saw all this great playing and this great level, and I said, I I want to be there. I want to leave that. And um, I met a guy named Larry Eisenstein, who teaches at the Boston Conservatory, and I studied with him. And then I went to NEC and I studied with Douglas Hill retired Boston Symphony Bass Formalist. And in that process, while I was in school, I met these guys, and uh, you know they were already doing great things, and I went to all their recitals, and, and it was always great, because I, these are my friends who are making this amazing music. And all of a sudden, three years ago, I get a call, and we like to join the group, and I was like, of course. <laughs> That's no brainer right there, you know? And uh, it, it was, uh, it was it was really great. It's really interesting. I've been freelancing in town for in Boston for a while, and uh, definitely when I joined the group, the music, the level of difficulty of the music that the group plays, it was it was very challenging, uh, and it still is. But at the same time, in a very positive way, because mm -hmm. we have a really great um, world of friends first of all, and and it's a really great relationship. I mean, we push each other to the limits, I mean, technically, but also uh, as far as, you know, personalities and all that. And of course, there's always, you know, conflicts and stuff, but the great thing is that there's a huge amount of respect uh, between all of us, and uh, that makes it great. And I think for any group or any uh, group that you're involved with is it, a wonderful thing. I mean, mm -hmm. I think respect is, is a great thing. In general, but but uh, it, it's it's been really great, really great journey to be you know part of the group. Uh, well said, well said. And last and certainly not least, uh, a great, great tenor trombone player and also a great arranger. For those of you who uh, take the time to check out the CDs, penned uh, two really two or three really wonderful arrangements on the uh, CD. But Mr. Wes Hopper. Man, let's see. My story. I I, uh, I come from rural North Alabama. Uh, my early music education comes from my father, who's a, a great musician, but uh, completely untrained. He plays guitar, mandolin, and sings all by ear, no, no studying or anything like that. So he would drag me around the South to various different fiddling conventions. And uh, that's kind of like how I cut my teeth on, on music. So it's very, very different than in some ways, I look back on that and think, well, man, this is how I figured out how to shape a phrase. You know, this is how I, this is where I come from, you know, so, so I, I owe him a lot for that. But then, of course, you know, I got into the band programs in middle school. I was a little later uh, than other people. There was no, there wasn't really a great uh, music education thing going on in the elementary schools around where I was from, but. But uh, my mother played the saxophone in band, and I had a saxophone in the house, and man, I was jamming out, to, you know, making my sounds, getting to the band class, and 
Nothing would come out. No sound whatsoever. Just holding the thing, looking like an idiot. Uh, but, uh, you know, so the band director's like, well, you know, this is left. So he handed me a trombone. It was, you know, it was just like, it worked for me. So so I was like, all right, well, I guess I'm a, I'm a trombone player. So, uh, but then I, uh, let's see, I'm went to a bunch of summer music camp things in high school at the University of Alabama where I met a bunch of mentors there. I started blowing off uh, class in high school. Uh, about middle of the day, every Wednesday, I would just be gone from school <laughs> with a buddy of mine and drive two hours to the university, which is the closest music scene to where I was at, and take lessons and I sort of got all hooked up there and they were giving me a bunch of money to go to this university and stuff like that. And my teacher pulled me to the side one day and was like, man, I think, I think we need to get you out of this environment and get you into, you know, a metropolitan area where, where it's competitive and things are going on. So he, uh, he made a call late to, you know, very quickly, like in August and I had to be in Boston in September. Uh, he made a call to Jim O'Dell, who was uh, the director at Boston Conservatory at the time, and he said, yeah, we need somebody, so let's do it. So, boom, I just decided to go and ended up in Boston. I studied with Larry Isaacson, who also brought, uh, brought Angel uh, to Boston in a way, and uh, <coughs> he continues to be a great supporter of the quintet, actually. And... Uh, that's it, man. I, I actually don't have any music degrees at all, or any degree at all. Um, I got busy enough working when I was getting done with my undergrad degree that I didn't really feel like doing the liberal arts credits that I owed them, and so uh, I, I just started working. And uh, that was my education more than school, I think, was just pouring myself into figuring out how to get gigs, arranging and all that all this sort of stuff that we still do to this day uh, that was that was where my education lied I, I think very cool well it's great it's just great to hear how you all kind of came together and how Boston was obviously a big part of that and, and you all being there so um, you know when I was a student I, I had a, a brass quintet and we toyed with the idea of trying to become a professional quintet and uh, um, I have great respect and admiration for you, for you guys and all the great brass quintets, uh, and I want to talk a little bit about that lineage and also talk about uh, maybe the influences it ha has had on you guys in terms of various quintets. I know when I was uh, coming up, you know, Canadian brass was certainly the first one that got commercial success, and the Empire Brass was in uh, probably their strongest period. Um, since then, there, of course, American Brass Quintet has been around a long time, the Atlantic Brass. Uh, few years ago I heard Minozel for the first time and that was like a whole other thing amazing playing and theatricality and the whole thing it's uh, crazy but I think you guys are, are really in my estimation the next important great brass quintet in the lineage of, uh, of these great quintets um, can you guys and, I, and I'll open it up to anybody who wants to start off just talk about any of the influences that you guys have had from from any of these various quintets oh I, you want to Sure. I think, uh, you know, when we started getting serious about brass quintet and going into uh, the competition scene, we started seeking our peers to, to help us out. And one guy in particular, uh, the trombonist from the Atlantic Brass Quintet at the time, his name is John Fayette. He's a fantastic 
trombone player, and yeah. I know he played with you on some of the stuff mm -hmm. in Trombone Day. But uh, he coached us a lot, and uh, he did it for free. But what what the most important thing, as Andrew and I, as we were talking about yesterday, was that he coached us in a, in such a way that he encouraged us to do our thing and seek out our own uh, influences more than the sort of traditional work on this piece, go get this recording by this quintet, you know, and, and see how it goes. Basically, we come at what we do the opposite way of that. We, If we listen to those other things, we do it after we've learned the piece and after we've decided how we want it to be, then we'll check out, you know, what, what other people are doing and stuff like that. Of course, those great quintets, you know, played into my mind. Coming... Coming from nowhere, Alabama, man, when I moved to Boston, I literally thought that Canadian brass and the Boston Pops were classical music, mm -hmm. you know, so, so that, that was definitely influential to me. Just out of school, I went to the Atlantic Brass Quintet Seminar, actually, both of us were in a quintet together as students, uh, so we're super proud to, to be involved with that to this day, but that was huge for me. Uh, because I really wasn't into quintet, man. I didn't dig the the gel of it. I didn't dig, like, I wanted to be in a trombone quartet, blend, and, you know, homogenous sounds and all this stuff. And that opened my eyes to, to all those kind of the playing that you're talking about. And then I started checking out Empire and the really, you know, the great, uh, the great other quintets out there. That, that's my take on influence. On yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, this is something that's become... Uh, you know, something that we sort of recognize in our own sound that this process, and it really was, it is, you know, looking back on it, it, you know, it's something that I think we try to, we try to emulate when we coach younger brass quintets now. And it's, and, and I think now we appreciate how hard it is to, to not tell them exactly what it's supposed to sound like, to not say, you got to do this and then it'll be good. But to let them find, you know, and this, let them find what the sound is going to be, and let them find, you know, your own voice, and that was for us, you know, looking back on it, we sort of recognized as really kind of a tremendous gift that we were given because we, where we ended up was, um, you know, there's there's this sort of long tradition in brass quintets of the brass quintet being like the trumpet show with a backup band, right? And mm -hmm. and I honestly like I I grew up listening to to all of that, and I. I learned a lot about how to play the trumpet from those guys, especially, you know, like, yeah, I owe a tremendous debt to listening to all those recordings. But as we started finding sort of our own voice, that's not where we went. You know, that's not, that's not really the, the, the sound that we did find something a little closer together and a little more homogenized and something where, you know, the low trio has more work to do. You know, the low, the low trio has more of a personality and more of sort of a lead role than you would have, and that partly that comes, you know, through the arranging, and it's something that we now, now that we're writing for ourselves, we're able to support that even more. But um, that it, by giving us sort of the freedom to find our own voice, we ended up going somewhere that's that's I think a little unusual in, in you know how brass quintets have traditionally sound. Mm -hmm. uh, well, that leads me to my next question, which is perfect. Um, I think you know one of the important things for any any group of any kind of music is developing your own signature sound. And certain certainly it happens a lot in jazz where you hear oh you, you know right away that's 
Miles Davis Quintet from the 60s, or it's Pat Metheny Group from the late 80s, or whatever group you have. And I think, um, Stephen, just as you alluded to, I think it's really important, and you guys have already established it. I can tell it to you guys right off. And I think a lot of it comes from, of course, the great playing, but also the composing and the arranging that you guys have put into it. So I just kind of wanted to address that a little more deeply in terms of how... Um, you know, how you guys approach arranging, how you guys approach composing. And, and Andrew, if we could start with you, uh, your piece is, is, I love everything on the CD, but I, have, have to, I would have to say that's probably my favorite piece uh, on the CD. A very interesting title, and I'll let you, uh, I'll let you feel that part of it. But, uh, but uh, it's, it's, there's a reason why you guys picked that as the first piece on the, uh, on the CD, and it really sounds like Trident Brass as soon as I hear it. So maybe you could talk about your approach to, to composing for the quintet. Sure. Thank you for the compliment. Um, you know, I learned to compose through really writing a lot of hip-hop songs. In, in, in the beginning, when I was experimenting with what made me happy, you know, uh, in my spare time. And after many years of that, I kind of put the composition on hold and then kind of brought it back again. And my approach to composing anything is to be directly connected to it emotionally. It's my own experiences that I, you know, have that I can portray through music. And unfortunately, the mentally disturbed person wasn't me, <laughs> but uh, through the course of a, a relationship I learned a lot from, uh, I kind of put that relationship onto music and had the luxury of knowing my colleagues playing to directly write this piece for us, which is very unique. Um, I was going for the new Plogue, because that's, to me, that's an accessible piece for undergrads, graduates, and professionals. But that was, that's really my approach, um, is to direct emotional connection. And then I, I know these guys, like they know my playing, so it was easy to support our strengths. And, uh, Luckily, it turned out a, a pretty spectacular piece. So. And tell us the title again. Mental Disorders. Love it. Love it. <laughs> you're, so, you're so commercial. <laughs> no, it's a great piece, and I, I encourage everybody to check it out. And, and for those of you who have brass quintets, you might want to check into uh, to playing the piece. It's really a, a great great work. Uh, Wes, maybe you, I'd like to hear from both you and Stephen. You both penned some great arrangements for the, for the CD as well. Sure. I mean, very much like Andrew just said, the, when I choose something to arrange, it has a connection to me, it has a connection to us, I hope, uh, as a group. But, but it, uh, you know, one of the unique things about this group is that we do know each other very well and we trust each other very much. So when we bring in an arrangement, like I'll almost never bring an arrangement in that's really complete like you would get it published. You know, mm -hmm. It's gonna have roughly the right people playing the right notes and, and kind of how I hear it, but beyond that, I trust my colleagues so much that we can develop it together and, and truly make it ours. And I think that's a special dynamic that everybody should explore in their groups, no matter no matter what the group, but, but yeah, I just, uh, I try to, to write for us. I, I write, um, you know, I really do have ridiculous respect for these people and 
let them do their thing and, and it works. So yeah, it's kind of easy. That's if I'm honest, it's, it's, I mean, it's a lot of work, but it's kind of easy. Yeah, you know, it's certainly working, that's for sure. Steven, you want to add anything to the... Uh, I, I think, you know, I agree with what both of these guys are saying. It, it's a, it is a sort of special thing to get to write for people that you know so well. Um, and it gives you sort of superpowers as an arranger in a lot of ways because you know, I'm going to write this thing that's a little tricky, but I know that, that we can do it. Right? Mm -hmm. I know that we're going to be able to work this out. Um, I think, you know, just like Wes said, this is a habit that we've just fallen into where I, you know, we, we don't write arrangements for ourselves anymore that have dynamics in them. We don't write tempo markings, except maybe a suggestion that's you know, something at the beginning so we can get started. Um, I even get reluctant to put in rehearsal letters because they're phrase markings a lot of the time, and I, I, get, I get a little worried about that mm. because we're going to figure it out as a group. It's something that we want to own as a group. Um, and it's been interesting because we get, you know, the... You sort of get to see it in, in both directions. It's been years of sort of experimenting and learning how, how everybody reacts to different things you write for them. You know, on the on the one hand, it means you learn you learn exactly how you can push people. You know, people who are your friends, but you know that, that you could write something that's kind of mean and that they're going to pull it off. You know, and they'll stay in front. You know, I I um you know I, I sit right across from Sheila in the group and. There's, there's a special kind of communication between people who stared each other in the face for, for more than 10 years now, you know, looking right at each other. We, we know a lot about, about each other at this point, and, and I, it's more than one time, you know, I'll come in with an arrangement, and we'll, we'll read it down, and, you know, I, I, something, I know that I wrote it, I know what I did, and at this point I can almost predict it, but, well, <laughs> as I'm writing it, um, but... You know the number of times that uh, that Sheila will play will play some some hairy thing that I wrote for her, and then I just I get this very quick little middle finger from Sheila from the other side of the group. Well, and every and time like I look one. up, you're you're ready for it. You're right. looking right at me. I'll look up right. and I'll be like, "What?" And you're all you're like. <laughs> and then and then a couple you know and then a week later there, there's some other conversations like, "Oh my God, thank you so much for writing that." Like everything was all you know that was that thing's fun. You get so there's the, the, those sorts of things you get to do, which are which are really great, and I think help. We all sort of push each other that way, um, and then you get surprised sometimes. You know, there's a track on this album where I arranged um, one of the a Piazzolla fugue, um, and after working on it for weeks and weeks and weeks, you know, Sheila said, you know. I could play this whole opening an octave higher. No, it was on hell. Or was it on hell? Yeah, we were well, suggesting. I was I was sitting there and everybody's playing, <laughs> and I I said, Shiva, I think you can play that up an octave. And that was I believe that was the day before the recording <laughs> totally or the was. day of the recording. We had been performing it like we played it way. for a year or so, and, and I'm just listening there and I said, like, Why don't you play that up an octave? Of course, the gesture, you know, came out. <laughs> the familiar gesture came out. Of course, it did. It did. It did. You know. But um, next day, she came in and crushed it. And we recorded it, and it was right there. You know, it's that, it's that kind of thing where um, you have your colleagues, they, they know exactly what you can do and what you can't do. And what you can't do, they push it still mm -hmm. and that makes you a better player i think 
that's one of the, uh, the, the, the most important thing for any musician uh, to, to, any, to be in that situation. You, you are with your colleagues, which you, know, you respect them a lot, but the competition and the level of... of um, we're trying always to reach and be better and better and better, which mm-hmm. is you know, the story of every musician. Sure. But uh, uh, as a group, we're trying to find that sound. We're trying to find that thing. You know, sometimes the charts come in and of course they don't have dynamics, they don't have phrasing, they don't have any of that. And it's a wonderful thing because it gives us license to experiment with things, which comes, and that comes with a huge amount of responsibility because I mean, everything is about the music and it's, a, it's about raising the level of the music. It's not about showing up what we can do technically. It's just, all, it's always for us, it's always about the music, always. Yeah. I think there's nothing. There's nothing like uh, uh, a knowing who you're writing for, and then b having the musical trust and respect that you guys have for each other. And obviously, you can't get that unless you're in a group with somebody for a significant period of time. You go into play a single engagement or a show or whatever it is, and although you may trust the person next to you, you don't necessarily know where they're coming from. You guys obviously are all on the same page uh, musically. That's all all great uh, words of advice and and insight. Um, I wanted to ask you guys about, and Sheila, maybe you could kind of jump in on this, working, both working as a quintet, and then of course you guys are in the freelance classical world, so I you know, I know Sheila, you're working all the time as an individual. Um, maybe just talk about that in a general kind of way, and then I was also kind of curious just, um, especially for all of us being in the Northeast here, you know, New York is certainly a center, but Boston, in terms of the, the freelance classical world, seems to be a, quite a thriving scene. Maybe you could just kind of yeah. Touch on those two centers, if you could. Sure. Uh, well, two great cities um, with so much going on and, you know, different, which makes, you know, each city really special and, and all its own. I mean, I think in general with freelancing, freelance anything, not just music, but um, when you're aspiring to establish uh yourself as a professional and you're aspiring to establish a gig calendar to to bring in money, I think a very good strategy, a very good perspective to adopt is just one where you you cast a wide net, um, you you embrace the power of yes. You know, (laughs) if you if you are free and you know that square in your calendar is blank, take the gig, do the gig. and if it involves some driving, I've done some driving. <laughs> and I've ridden the Fungwa bus, and I've ridden Amtrak, and that, you know, I mean, I think that it's important to um, to take every opportunity that you can to, to work, to better yourself, to get out there. Um, and I think that I, I feel that I'm a better player because of my willingness to lose sleep and to, to buy the train ticket to get on the bus. I mean, there were <clears throat> there were a couple of years there between Boston and New York when I was um, sort of living in two places and working in two places, and we were we still had a you know a really heavy rehearsal schedule. We were doing a lot of stuff, and I was I was on the road all the time, and it was exhausting and difficult sometimes. But you know, every time I, I get to rehearsal, and I'm not just saying this for the purposes of the interview, um, I would get to rehearsal, I'd sit in my chair, we'd start playing, and I'd be like, a sigh of relief, all worth it. 
Because, you know, I mean, a 3 a.m. bus out of Penn Station to, to get to the gig on time because we have, you know, we have a mass to play at BC on a Sunday morning and I had a show the night before. I mean, it's nuts. But what we do is nuts. Uh, you know, we don't, we don't become musicians to sleep. <laughs> That's good. Um, but anyway, those are good words, and I think I think the most valuable thing you said was embrace the power of yes. Oh yeah. And I think uh, uh, the great bass player Will Leagues plays it yes. on all the best stuff in yeah. town, and then he'll also do little gigs at right. Theater End for fifty bucks or whatever. I remember asking him one time, you know, why do you, why do you take all this stuff? And Will's same idea. He said, I didn't come to New York to say no. Right. So and you never know what what's well, going to happen. Well, and sometimes those gigs. Are the game changers? Yeah, you know, absolutely. You really, when you're not expecting it, so it's good stuff. Um, and help. I'd like you to speak to this. One of the interesting things about your guys' quintet is it is the bass trombone. And you know, I don't know if I would say that typically it's tuba, but certainly probably more than half the time it's a tuba chair. And I believe you guys started off it was a tuba chair. I think it was one of the great moves that they did adding you to the group and, and switching to the bass trombone. I think it's a phenomenal sound, and I, I really like it a lot just talk you know not nothing super deep but what is how do you approach playing that chair and and how do you look at it as w what you're doing as opposed to what the tuba might be doing well i think um this relates to to um when i went to aspen it was the very first time i heard brass quintet with bass from one it was roll jazz mm -hmm. and of course i mean you're used to you grew up listening to all these recordings that these fantastic groups that have been mentioned on, on the interview, and the sound is is, is the tuba. But then all of a sudden, I was like, "Wow, I'm sitting listening to this amazing brass quintet and this guy making this beautiful sound." And I think his concept, which when I started with him, I got to, of course, I got to learn this, is um, it, it gives us the advantage. Uh, because the register-wise, the, the bass one is closer to, to, the, to, to the rest of the voices, you know. Mm -hmm. So it, it'll be like, for me, it's like having a tuba in a quintet is like having a string quartet with a bass instead of a cello, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. it's, it's harder to blend, it's harder to, I'm not saying that it's better or worse, and just it's just some things are harder. Like a lot of the arrangements that, that, that we play, you know, are written for the quintet, very vocal stuff. And a lot of the times, you know, like for me, um, I'm playing right, you know, very close to where Wes is, you know, which is very close to where Sheila is. And everything, all the song, it all comes together, you know. It's not like you don't have four voices or something like this, you know. So, which is, it can be challenging sometimes because every now and then in certain pieces required to have that wide sound. So I think that's the part that is challenging about mm -hmm. playing bass trombone in the quintet. But it, it's, in my opinion, it's great. Um, you have um, a lot more choices, uh, things you can go up in the register. Tuning-wise, uh, for pitch-wise, it's, it's, it, it's easier. And I don't know, we've uh, we known each other's playing very well, even though I've been in the group for two years or so, um, we've all known each other in different settings, you know, like Wes and I know each other for a long time, um, you know, Andrew as well, and Steve, but also Sheila and I, when I first played a gig with her, was at, at a big band in, in Providence, right? mm. and, you know, and, and once again, you know, you, 
you get a call for this gig that pays 25 bucks an hour away from Boston, but then you show up there and you have the top players in Boston. I mean, you guys, I mean, it's unbelievable, this mm -hmm. big band. Mm -hmm. I mean, and you, if you get the call and you're like, oh, no, I'm not doing that. And then all of a sudden you show up there and I remember my first gig, as I'm playing, I'm side reading this book and I hear all these dynamics and I hear this great friend of mine, Ross Hill, phenomenal lead trumpet player, just playing in a, I mean, the level of playing was phenomenal. Mm -hmm. I, I, and I was sitting there and in the middle of the tune, I start to get nervous because I'm like, oh my God, <laughs> I have to read dynamics. I have to read all this stuff, you know? They, I, and these are the kind of things that, that, that uh, I don't know. Um, so we all know each other, going back to your question, but I, I don't know. It's, it's great, but it also has challenges, but when you are making music with great musicians, um, everything comes together and you figure it out. Yeah. And if not, you just play up and up. That's the way it works. There it is. There's the quote. That you know, right? <laughs> if not, just play it up and up. Well, these are really exciting times for the quintet. It's really great, and I'm I'm really uh, thrilled that you guys have released the uh, the CD on Hippo Music, and I'm looking forward to uh, seeing this grow. Um, in your own words, what uh, I'd like each one of you to kind of respond to this. What is your um, vision and, and goals, really, for the next five to ten years for the quintet? Andrew, you want to start? Sure. On? Of course, you know, delusions of grandeur are our most <laughs> goal. But Triton Brass has always been very uh, passionate about education. We've always uh, been surrounded by, uh, you know, members of the Atlantic Brass Quintet that embraced us to participate in their seminar with them. And we've been teaching that seminar with Atlantic for probably 10, ten. years, which has always connected us to some of the finest, you know, 50 or 60, you know, brass students around. And really, for us to know that the, the legacy of what we do and to pass that on to these young quintets, and there has been many that have stayed together, and if they have stayed together, if they're going to stay together for a couple more years, they'll be a part of that lineage. But to truly have your own voice with your quintet and to make it your own and kind of pass on that education. Mm. Cool. Sheila, how about you? Um, well, lots of things. I have many uh, visions of grandeur of my own. Um, I'll keep most of them to myself. I, I have to say I, I'm so proud of this CD. Um, Again, I'm not just saying it for the purposes of this interview, but it's true. I uh, I just feel like we really captured how we play. It does not sound canned. It doesn't. It's it sounds like us. So I would love to do some more. I want more, um, more great arrangements, more great compositions, um, and I'd I'd love to have them down on record forever and ever, and then tour the universe. <laughs> you how about you, Stephen? Great. Yeah, well, I, I I sort of agree with what. You know what what Sheila said. I mean, the, this one of the things in sort of the medium term is that you know I think our our eyes have been opened a little bit. I think we were we were very reluctant to record this group for a very long time, and it's really because of something that that Angel said just the other day when we were rehearsing. He said, you know, even these pieces that we've been playing, you know, we've we performed them in recitals, we've played them over and over and over again for you know sometimes for years. 
they're still different. Every time we sit down and play it, it's different. We play it, we run through it once, and then we say, let's fix this one thing. And then we do it again, and 20 other things change. Right. Right? And with the, things are constantly evolving. We're constantly experimenting with new ideas. And I don't know that we've ever performed a piece the same way twice. And that being a group that, that sort of has that as part of your, your identity means putting something down on record feels weird. You know, freezing one of them, it's like there's always another try you could have had. There's always another idea you could have gotten in there, you know, and, and this, this process of getting the album out, I think, opened our eyes to ways of doing it and having it sort of preserve that part of our, our identity. And that's, that's something that I think is, is really exciting is that I think we're all excited to do more of this. Um, and I think, you know, what Andrew said, you know, this is, we're in a weird moment in sort of classical music. Right? And things are, things are changing quickly sort of underneath our feet. And things like what we're doing, which as recently as five or six years ago felt like this hugely experimental, risky, you know, little chamber group that we're doing, all of a sudden our jobs are more secure than members of several major professional orchestras. You know, mm -hmm. like it's, it's, it's weird times out there. Um, and that's something that, you know, we, we actually talked to our students at the, at the seminar, the groups we coach about this, that, you know, we, it's, it's exciting because we get to, you know, we get to be a part of that change, you know, that there's, there's some sort of transition that's in the works and we partly get to be, you know, we get to be involved in that because we're, we're part of it. We get to be making music through that and, and adapting as, as the world changes. But almost more importantly, we get to work with all of these amazing young students who are really going to be sort of inheriting all of that and, and really figuring out sort of what the new world looks like. And that's, that's really exciting to be a part of that. Yeah, the, the, the dynamic of this scene is a really good one. Uh, this group, for me, I, I think is a, is a, of a, as a sanctuary, definitely from that from a lot of that stuff we were talking about earlier, from showing up to whatever gig, and I, I love getting gigs, and I love making money and all that stuff, but but to come and sit in this band uh, and not have to worry about, you know, we love each other, we're friends, we're family, we're business partners, we're all those things, and, and yes, we step on each other's toes, but we can step on each other's toes and still come out of it okay and show up the next time and still be the band and still be the crew and not have to worry about well i guess that's the last time i'll hear from that contractor you know it's not, it, so it really is a sanctuary uh away from all the bs you know just the stuff that we have to go through on a, on a daily basis to make a living and i think that dynamic comes across i think that's part of what makes us successful is these students getting to be around us and experience how we are with each other, the, the professionalism that we have, but also the, the, the brotherly or family love, you know, you, you could also say something that they can feel and experience and hopefully they want to be involved in that. So I think we do more of what we do, mm -hmm. you know, we, we record more CDs, we go do residencies and put ourselves out there and, let people experience that dynamic and you know that's that's the best that I could hope to offer people I think yeah good stuff and then and how about for yourself uh, definitely the educational uh, scene for us is, is huge because uh, as Wes mentioned we were students at the Atlantic Grand Seminar where we're faculty now the quintet joined 
10 years ago, but I joined the Quintet two or three years ago, right around the same time when I joined the faculty at the Boston Conservatory. So we do a, a, a big amount of teaching at the Boston Conservatory, which is great. And also every summer we get to work with 55, 60, you know, young, super talented players. And it's really great. It's my experience at, at the Atlantic Grass Seminar when I was a student was that each one of the faculty members, they were not trying to make me sound like anyone. He, every person was encouraging every one of the students to sound like the best they can sound, find their own voice, find their own sound. I think that's what we try to do there. We don't, we don't you know, uh, it's great if people hear the recording and, and, and it influences them in, in, a, in, a, in a great way. But for me, it's more important that someone goes there and that's what, what I try to do with my students at the conservatory is like find your own voice and, and, and do your thing because each one of us has something special and, mm -hmm. and I think that's what it's all about because that's what we need. Mm -hmm. you know, we don't need clones, we need, you know, we need each one's personality to shine and everybody's sound is beautiful and, and that's why we get this group because we come to rehearsals and we can play with the sound that we want to play on that particular day. That's why every time that we play something is different because, you know, to be honest, like we rehearsed yesterday and the night before I got home two or three in the morning after a salsa gig where I was playing lead from one all night, you know, that thing. So the sound is not going to be, the sound in the bass from one is not going to be fresh, you know, and it's not going to be as refined as you will hope for a classical setting, you know, and, and it's wonderful when you come to a group and, and they all know that, you know, and, and then you just play and then you can do your thing and it's, it's great because everybody responds to that. If somebody's note is not coming out, there's an immediate response from the whole group and that connection, and I think there needs to be more of that out there, and that's what we, for me, that's my dream. I, I want to, yes, I want to record more CDs, but I want to go out there and and show people that, yes, man, it's, it's okay, do your thing, you know, like, come together, like, I mean, let's just share that love for the music that we have. I think that's, that's yeah. that, for me, that's a those are such great answers. I mean, you guys have said so much wisdom and, and thought, thoughtfulness, and uh, it it's amazing to me that you guys are all such like-minded. I mean, I'm sure you have dra dramatic differences between you, <laughs> but you're very like-minded as musicians, and I think that's why the, the quintet has such success. And when you hear you guys, it's just... And I also admire just the, the awareness that you guys have. You're just a, I, I always talk about that in my clinics. It's just Sometimes it just comes down to awareness. It's not a matter of being right or wrong or whatever, but it's just you're aware of what else is around, and you guys are clearly uh, constantly aware. It's really a, it's great stuff, and I really appreciate all those answers. As we wind down today, I, like you guys, I have a passion for music education, and I like to kind of wrap up every interview that we do with all the great artists like yourself uh, with just a little bit of advice to younger players out there and what you know, that are looking and maybe they want to form a brass quintet or maybe they want to be a classical trumpet player or maybe they want to teach at MIT or whatever it might happen to be. Um, and, but anyway, I, I, I'd love just in a sentence or two to have each one of you kind of give me your, what you think are the most important qualities, both musically and personally, in terms of having success, both as a musician, but in particular in the quintet setting. Maybe, Stephen, can we start with you on this? Um... 
there's a lot. How much time do we have left? <laughs> I'll try to keep it brief. I'm bad at that. Um, but I'll try not to. I'll try not to to, try to, to winnow it down a little bit. Um, I think you know a sense of again, like we've said this over and over and over again. But you know, we we come to this ultimately from a real love of the music that we're playing um, and a real desire to sort of share that with with people and and. Uh, I think maybe even for me, you know, more important than that is just to do the best job by the music that I can do. You know, I, I, that's, that almost becomes uh, more central to me in particular is that, you know, I want, I want to do the best job I can to, to bring this music to life the best it can be. Um, and I think that motivation ultimately, you know, for me is, is what helps us with all of the other things you know, being sensitive to other people and being open to suggestions and all these sort of other interpersonal qualities. Uh, um, they, one of the best things about this group is that everybody's heart is in the right place. Everybody, everybody's in it for the same reasons um, and, and, and reasons that we agree on. And uh, that's, that, that's hugely important mm -hmm. as a starting place. Great. Chu? Um, again, there's a lot to say, um, but uh, the one thing that I am thinking of the most is take risks. In the box is boring. You know, if you take risks and you play outside the box, that's how you figure out who you are and what your own sound is and what you have to offer. Um, I feel so lucky that I'm in this group because I have all these partners and we're all doing it together and it's it's awesome um and it's been my vehicle for that and again worth all those trips on the phone while bus <laughs> but really um play outside the box and um don't obsess about perfection as much as how, how what you feel play how you feel and don't be confined by the other stuff because the other stuff's not as important mm, great advice andrew I'm not exactly sure if this is advice or not. I guess it is, but the one difference, really, in being in Triton, and, and not just in chamber music, because some chamber groups may not be able to accomplish this, because it's really a, a social environment. It's sort of a marriage relationship type of a setting. And for us, we've created 100% artistic control and freedom in a democratic environment. And that's the only place you might get that in the music business. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, well, it doesn't matter. Uh, I, I, I would just sort of expound on what Andrew said, but but also to just own your stuff. Like that, that would be my advice. Not not necessarily from a business point of view, but also from that point of view too. But do take the risks, you know, put together this kind of relationship and do it unapologetic, go for what, what you want to do, sing your song, you know, those kind of ideas. That for me is the only place I can find freedom and happiness, even when a lot of other stuff has fallen by the wayside or maybe life is not going the way I want it to go or what have you. I, you know, if I can focus on that and 
own my arrangements and own the work that I'm doing for the quintet or the work that I'm doing for everything else or practicing the trombone, you know, for however many hours a day or whatever. Just just really own that and do it and and you will have some form of success that, that will happen. Great. Well, for me, um, I think being respectful is a key. And not just because you want that next gig, just from a very deep place, having a huge amount of respect for your colleagues because that's what it's gonna, you know, you, you, you learn from that. You know, mm -hmm. if, you, if you, you, you trust people, you know, it, what am I trying to say? I'll start again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I understand exactly what you're saying. It, it, well, I mean, this is the thing. Like, I mean, you gotta be a good colleague if you wanna be working. You know, yeah, and, and and respect it plays a huge amount of it, it, that's what what's all about, you know. And then the other thing is like find a place where you can explore and be who you want to be, as far as players, sound goes. Uh, I think you know we we are defined by but the situations, and we try to stay in this box because. We need this gig, or we need to play this gig because otherwise, otherwise we won't be able to pay, to pay the bills. I think it's very important to find a place, a sanctuary, you know, like where you can just come in and play with the sound that you want to play and the sound that you hear, and, and be yourself and take all those risks because I think that's what is going to keep music alive. Mm -hmm. You know, like playing or trying to emulate or, or imitate somebody else. I mean, I have a lot of players that I admire. And they're all, you know, I'm lucky now that I live in a great city and I'm good friends with all of them, you know, and it's phenomenal. But I I don't want to sound like them. I want to sound like me, you know, because that's what I was, they encouraged me to do that. And if there's something that, that I advise, if you want to call it, you know, um, to be yourself because there's someone out there who will love that. Mm -hmm. That's what one can be just me, but, but, <laughs> but I mean that's what turns me on, and that's what what I love about music and listening to different sounds. Because, man, come on, uh, what if you don't have if you eat the same kind of food every day? It's no fun, you know. Yeah. So you need variety, you know, and that's the beauty of of, of being alive. <laughs> Indeed. Well, that's. Uh... Just amazing insight and advice you guys gave today. It's really uh, it's equal as much fun to talk to you guys as it is to listen to you play. It's uh, and, and it's very similar. It's, it's just very open and uh, and it's great, really great stuff. So first of all, thank you for taking the time today to slog into here to Manhattan and deal with all that we have to deal with here. It's not easy getting into this place, but uh, I wish you guys all the success in the world with the CD. It's going to do amazing things, and you've already. You've done this. You've come up with the ideas and the great music, which is the hard part. So, um, we thank all of you for watching today. Hope you got as much out of this interview as I have. I found it to be incredibly insightful. This is Triton Brass. This is their new CD, Triton Brass. I hope you go out and check it out. And we will see all of you next time on Bone to Peg.